0: Well hello and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in today, and may the Lord bless this episode greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. And I am back joined with Jason Rowland, one of our elders here at the church, and he is the co-host of the podcast. Jason, how are you this
1: afternoon? I'm doing great, Duffy. Rangers. Four straight wins in the postseason. We're seeing what happens next. It's so nice. Playing tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Uh, Today is the 8th, October 8th, or 9th. 9th. uh, And they, they play the third game of the series against the Orioles. They've won the first two games of the ALDS, and tomorrow could clinch it. So we are both Rangers fans, if you've heard recent episodes we're excited. It's a good year to be a Rangers right. fan.
1: But I am excited about the subject of this episode. Me too.
0: Me too. Equally as good in a whole different realm. Uh, if you've seen the title of today's episode, we are back with another Old Dead Guys series. I think this is episode 5 or 6, one of those. We've done several already. But today we're going to be talking about the Reformer, kind of the, the, the preeminent Reformer, Uh, when we're talking about the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And that is, we're speaking of the life and legacy of Martin Luther.
1: Right. And the reason that we're speaking about him on this particular day, this is, um, as you said, October the 9th, 2023, is because October the 31st is Reformation Day in That's the right. life of the church.
0: That's right. So you mean it's not Halloween? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we celebrate Reformation Day, and um, that has a particular significance for us, but it's it's tied to, uh, to Martin Luther in the 1500s. But um, we're going to be talking about many different aspects of his life. This, uh, this episode is not comprehensive. Like the other episodes in the past, this is just an introduction to you about the man, Martin Luther. So if any of this sparks your interest, we have some resources that we can commend to you that you can um, either listen to or watch or read to uh, learn more about life and ministry and legacy of Martin Luther.
1: That's right. And uh, let's mention those up front. Um, Sure. The the YouTube uh, documentary that you um, had also given to me. But we've got a link that we could send to mm-hmm. any of the listeners if they would just uh, contact us um, by phone or uh, in any. Yeah, way. Yeah, I can put that
0: link in the show notes of this episode when it comes out. That's, so there, there you go. That uh, should way be to available uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast. You can click on that link. That, but it's a it's a documentary put on by Ligonier Ministries. So yes. it's a very well done. Right. Um, uh, very edifying, well-done documentary. It's about an hour and a half long. I would, We would highly commend that to you.
1: Yes, and also probably the, the most famous biography of Martin Luther is by Roland Bankton, and uh, that is B-A-I-N-T-O-N. The title is Here I Stand, A Life of Martin Luther, and there are several other more recent biographies, but this is the one that seems to be the standard that most of the biography writers have uh, used as a reference to write about Martin Luther's life.
0: Neat. neat. Any other resources we have?
1: The other one that I could commend to the listener is called The Heroic Boldness of Martin Luther by Stephen Lawson, and uh, I would recommend that. As a, a great, just brief resource. Yeah, it's it, a pretty small book. That's it, not even two hundred pages. No, is it? It, no, it's not two hundred pages. It's a, and it's a pretty, um, it's clearly written, written, and you can uh, read through it in a in a short hurry. period of time. Yeah, yep. it's about one hundred and twenty pages.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's a great one. The
1: yeah. other the other one that we referenced
0: is a much larger, more comprehensive, yes, uh, full treatment.
1: Right, and of course, he's Martin Luther was the author of many. Books and so you can go online and yep. um, search any of the books that he's written. The most famous is probably the Bondage of the Will, which is uh, uh, really a book about uh, man's free will and how do we understand that. Yep. Um, and there's there's a ton. He of wrote a ton. He wrote bi- uh, commentaries on books of the Bible. Yes. Uh, you were just saying before we went on air that you're reading through and working with some of his Galatians commentary. Yeah,
0: I've found it very helpful. Uh, lots, of, lots of folks have found it helpful. It's kind of one of his preeminent commentaries that he wrote on a New Testament book is the one uh, on Galatians. It's one that is referenced by many pastors centuries after him has been very helpful. So in that one particularly, he gives a very uh, helpful and clear Doctrine, uh, defense of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, which is, you know, the the linchpin of the Reformation, that doctrine. Right. And so I've got one other resource that is not specifically geared around Martin Luther, but it does contain him. This is by Michael Reeves. It's it's a book called The Unquenchable Flame. And this also is a very accessible, short book. This comes in at around 180 pages or so. And it's written on a very uh, lay level, um, just Normal, It's not an academic book, and it is a full treatment of an introduction to the Protestant Reformation. So in it, Reeves covers from the late 1300s all the way up until the Puritan era and talks about Luther, Calvin, Tyndale, Zwingli, Huss, all of those men. He gives a gr- a good brief treatment of all those guys and gives you just a full robust treatment of
1: the Reformation. Oh, that's great. That That resource... I just ordered, they told me that I, in a notification today that it's been shipped, so I'm anxious oh, good, to get that. Good. Yes. It'll be
0: well worth the yes, read. Yes, um, I've read it for, it was assigned actually in my seminary class, but I had the privilege of reading it a, a couple of years ago. I bought it, I don't even remember why I bought it, but I read it several years ago now, I think maybe three, and I was excited because I got to reread it again for class. And right. It was very, very right. good. It's the second time. So. right.
1: Well, those are some of the resources, and we commend those to the listener. And we may um, list those in the show notes at the uh, end of the uh, episode if you don't mind doing that, uh, Duffy. But let's talk about the man. Um, I know that people have heard the name, and uh, because of – The lack of knowledge about history, particularly church history. Um, People sometimes get this Martin Luther mixed up with uh, Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. And start thinking about, uh, well, he was more of of a contemporary Uh social uh, activist. (laughs) Yes. And so we're not talking about Martin Luther King Jr., Um, we're talking about the German reformer. Who uh, started basically the Protestant Reformation? Now, we're not going to um, have time, obviously, to be able to talk about all the details of his life, um, and he was really a, a, a wonderful character in that his, he lived life to its fullness. Um, for better or for worse. <laughs> right, right. Um, but there's a lot that we could say and yeah. there's a lot that cannot be said within the confines of this episode. There's just too much. There's too much. So let's just begin with some of the things that we can say that would be high points Sure. that we can reference and then talk through those and Make our way through his life.
0: Yeah, let me briefly to kind of get the ball rolling with this. So we're let me set the the, the time frame. We are in the 16th century, so that would be the 1500s, and specifically early 1500s. So if if memory serves me, um, 1517. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is when he did the famous. Uh, uh, publishing of the 95 theses and we'll talk about that in a little That's bit. That's correct. That's correct. And so if you think about 1517, he was already an adult by this time. So he, this is very early in the 1500s. And I, I believe he was born in the 1480s, 1483,
1: 1483. Yes. Okay. So yeah. this
0: kind of sets the the so this is the medieval era, okay? Um the Roman Catholic Church at the time, uh that that was pretty much the state church. This is uh, the Roman Catholic Church kind of ran things. The Pope ran things uh, in, in, in governmental, isu- or governmental issues of life as well as religious issues of life. Uh, the church was the hub uh, of sorts. So that kind of lays the landscape. Right, and,
1: and let's keep in mind, too, that the church was um, the people uh, were not the church. The church was the Pope. It and was an the institution priests. sort of a yes, yes. and the people were actually kept from the scriptures, yes. Um, and there was no real liturgy was the the way that church was conducted. Yes,
0: yes. and one one quick thing is uh, literacy in in the average people was at a very low, low there was hardly anyone who could actually read. Uh, back in this time. So people were dependent upon the uh, the priest, uh, the priests, uh, the the clergy of the church to feed them doctrine and feed them their religious
1: sustenance, if that makes sense. That's right. And so the church held an iron grip upon the yes. people by fear. Yes. Um, and uh, it was just a, a dark time. It was a very dark time. Right. So,
0: so this, yeah, this lays kind of the this is the um, the situation in which Luther found himself, but also the situation in which he sought to bring light to uh, biblical, Biblically. Right. So. And
1: he had an obscure beginning. He was born, as we said, in 1483. Um, he was born on November the 10th, and he was born to a, a family in, of um, copper miners. His father was a copper miner, and uh, so there was not a lot of money in this uh, work that... Um, Luther the Luther family was involved in and the idea for Martin Luther's father was that his son would go to uh, college and become a lawyer.
0: yeah, become prestigious, you know kind of get out of the coal mining uh, stuff and, and go do something with his life you know
1: right. They
0: were very uh, devout Catholics as well uh, although they they were they had meager means they were they were very religious, his parents. Uh, from my understanding. So he was not raised in, a, in an atheistic home. He was raised in a religious home.
1: Right. So. And out of that obscure beginning was one of the most important figures in really world history, yeah. Uh, certainly in Christianity. Yeah. And um, l- let's just talk about some of these highlights sure. that I've mentioned. Yeah. So the first thing that we would want to highlight about his life is that he – Uh, had a near-death experience that pushed him to become a monk. And so we didn't mention the fact that um, the monasteries and all of the monk uh, kinds of um, different uh, priorities that were given to being a monk and all those kinds of things. Yeah, today,
0: our current religious, uh, you know, Temperature, if you want to use that word, is nothing like it would have been for Luther growing up. And, and
1: it's a very different world that he lived in comparatively to today in the 21st century. Right. So he's 17 years old. He's enrolled at the University of Erfurt, And on July the 2nd, 1505, he experienced one of those defining moments in his life when he was caught in, in this vicious thunderstorm, and he was almost struck by lightning. He was terrified to die um, because of what he knew uh, that the church had taught him about death, and uh, he was terrified that he wouldn't have a place in heaven. And so he pledged at that moment during that storm that if St. Anne, St. Anne, the patron saint of copper miners, would Keep him safe. Got him through the storm. That he would devote his life uh, to God by becoming a monk.
0: Yeah. So he. This shows you a little bit. He was praying to Saint Anne to save him. Yes. To keep him safe. Yes. Uh, and so that that you know even those kinds of moments sh- show us the great uh, turnaround that he made
1: right. uh, later in his life. Of course, his vow um, angered his father, and oh, there was. Yes. Uh, disappointment with that, but he did. Martin Luther kept his bow. He resigned from the the, the university that he attended, and he joined the St. Augustine Monastery in Erfurt, and uh, he began then to just do all of the routines that monks did. There was um, a lot of um, starvation, freezings, um, a lot of um, chanting, repetitive bible reading um just those kinds of staunch
0: yeah and all of that was to, uh was a, a a a form of uh pursuing holiness yes it was getting rid of sin and right. all of these things were for purity so um they even we we might you know chuckle at that but it was it was dare i say it was good motives um, just misguided to the <laughs> to the nth degree.
1: It was. It's it was really a, sad, actually, it, to think right. about. It's an, uh, um, a a works based salvation. Oh man! Yeah. Based on what a burden. Uh, yes, based on what you can accomplish in your flesh. Yes. And so that's how he yeah. lived his life, and he struggled mightily with feeling any kind of respite from sin.
0: Yes, and with that, I'm gonna kind of jump us forward. This caused, if you can imagine, this caused him to just become, he, he started hating God. Yes. He was so, he was angry that God would lay upon him and all people, but him specifically, an impossible task
1: of righteousness, of
0: righteousness and purity and holiness. And it just made him angry. He started to loathe God. Right. Um. And, and he could not confess enough. He couldn't repent enough. He couldn't do X, Y, Z enough. And it would just become this vicious cycle. And so this this kind of leads us into this, um, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of you, but the tower experience where he is in, uh, when he discovers Really, the gospel uh, in in the book of Romans.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit ahead of me. But so let's go back yeah. for a moment. Apologize. Th- yeah, no, no, it's okay. Well, while he's at the monastery doing all of those monkish kinds of um, <laughs> yeah. self righteousness, he actually began teaching theology. That's true. And he taught it at the University of Wittenberg. And in 1512, uh, he actually achieved a doctorate in the subject of theology. So he he was lecturing on the Bible teaching on theology and so between 1517 and 15 i'm sorry sorry, 1515 and 1517 um, he started studying uh, the book of romans galatians hebrews and uh, he read there in romans chapter 1 verse 15 that the righteousness of god um, is from faith to faith and so he 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 said he pounded on that verse. He he sweated over. It. He he became, as you said just a moment ago, angry at God. Why would God demand of some weak human a perfect righteousness that only God would accept? It was impossible. That's right. And so he did become angry, and um, he began to um, uh, think about the church and how the church was conducting itself in regard to helping people in their righteousness. And so while he is there as the professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg, um, behind the scenes, there's the Roman Catholic Church. The Pope is wanting to raise funds to reconstruct St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And so Luther, he took objection to the fact that the Pope was selling indulgences. Mm -hmm. That is, buying forgiveness for people according to the money that they gave. Then they could um, lift their loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. I mean, let's just be honest. They were selling peace with God. For a price. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, supposedly. Right. So all of that began to make him think about the church. And so what he did was um, in October of 1517, he nailed his 95 theses to the castle door of the Wittenberg. Wittenberg. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, and these, um,
0: just to be clear on these, these were subject for debate. He wanted to have a... Theological and academic, uh, he he was challenging the the uh, the brains right. uh, behind the church. Come and let's debate these points. I take issue with these is, these things. Yes, um, he wanted he was it was confrontational. Yeah, it was a come let's let's hash this out.
1: He wanted a scholarly discussion. That's of right, church practices exactly. And Rather than it wasn't that he was all out against the Catholic Church um remember he's a he's a monk and he's so, a m- devout catholic yes and so he's wanting to um bring some new understanding to how the church should c- conduct itself uh and and his tone was not an accusation but yet it was bold and certainly um defiant in the sense that these were thoughts that no one had uh, brought to the forefront before. Um, exactly. So he, he nailed his thesis to the door of Saint All Saints Church in Wittenberg, um, and some people refer to it as the castle. Uh, and it was um, the beginning, really, of the Protestant Reformation. He didn't intend for it to be, but his students and his supporters took it, Printed those ninety-five theses, sent it all around Germany, and that created a firestorm. <laughs> it did. Uh, I mean, so what you have here, let's let's
0: just be very simple with this. What you have is a um, hundred years prior, you had men like uh, John Wycliffe and Jan Hus who rediscovered the Bible essentially and brought the Bible back to the vernacular. And what you have with Luther is you have this. This monk who is teaching the Bible, um, high-level theology, brilliant mind, grappling with what the Bible is saying and what the church is saying, and coming at this dissonance. This, they can't both be right. One of these has to be true, and one of them can't be true by necessity. Right. So that's what you have. You have, the, you have this man who is grappling with the truth of the Word of God and wrestling with that and saying we we have to we have to discuss this because what the church is
1: saying and what the bible is saying are not the same thing. That's right. So, let's just give some examples of the 95 Thesis. Yeah, I've them. actually got them. I was <laughs> I was doing that just a minute ago oh, as really? well. I'm looking at yeah. a couple of them. Okay. Well, number 1, yeah. when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, referencing Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, and the church at that time had um, interpreted that verse um, in which Jesus talks about repentance um, into the word penance. 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 Yes. Yes. Doing penance. Yes. Yeah. And so um, that is different than repentance. That's right. It's, it's,
0: you know, not to be overly simplistic, but it's essentially this concept where you kind of take care of your own sin. You sin, and you do penance to kind of cancel that sin
1: out. Right. You know,
0: that's overly simplistic, but that's the idea behind that.
1: Right. So, uh, thesis number 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Um, Number 79. To say that the cross emblazoned with the papal arms, which is set up by the preachers of indulgences is of equal worth mm. with the cross of Christ is blasphemy. It is. Amen. I've got this one here, Thesis
0: 21. I mean, think about this being posted. Therefore, those preachers of indulgences are in error who say that by the Pope's indulgences, a man is freed from every penalty and saved. I mean, that, that's heat. That's a fastball right you know um there whereas he remits to souls in purgatory no penalty which according to the canons they would have to pay in this life i mean he he dish, he deals with indulgences purgatory the papacy
1: um i mean so many issues in the in the theses right. and because of those theses and because of the fact that the students took those things and uh, his supporters took those theses and spread them all through um europe really Um, then he, Martin Luther, became a thorn in the Pope's side. Exactly. And so Pope Leo X in 1520 sent a papal bull that threatened Luther with excommunication. A papal bull is uh, a command from the Pope, to put it simply. Um, And that Martin Luther, on order from the Pope, should should recant all of his views. And uh, so... Luther uh, responded after some time of thinking by setting that papal bull, which was a, a scroll, set it on fire, um, and uh, he was certainly then excommun- excommunicated from the church in January 1521. Uh, after that, he was summoned to the city of Worms and um, the Diet. which is a general assembly of all the Holy Empire's um, important people. This would have
0: been a daunting, daunting task to face
1: the Diet of Worms. Yes. And he was um, demanded uh, that he would renounce his writing. uh, And this is probably his most famous moment when he stood uh, by his work um, and said that he would not recant. In fact, his words were, I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Yes. Yes. And and of course, he was immediately branded as a heretic. He was um, uh, branded and um, labeled as an outlaw by the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Um, His arrest was ordered. Um, He was... Banned, Uh, his literature was banned, uh, and it became illegal to shelter him. Um, And so on his way back to his hometown um, to uh, get some of his things together, get his life in order, because he was expecting death, he was kidnapped by his supporters and um, put in the tower that you mentioned earlier, in which he yeah. spent most of his time translating the Bible into the German language. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, that's, and again, just to kind of remind, this is the the, the, the pivotal moment for, for Luther for us today, is that he discovered that what the scriptures taught was that was salvation was by faith alone plus nothing not plus indulgences or confession or contrition or uh, merit of any kind, that, that Christians are to be taught, and I think he says this somewhere in the theses, that um, salvation is found only on the basis of Jesus, not upon the basis of Jesus plus the church of any, of in any way. Right. And this was part of his, again, kind of looping back around, but just to remind, this was part of the, his rediscovery of the Bible, specifically the letter of Romans as he was teaching through, and again, his tower
1: experience. Right. Um, He was hid away in the Wartburg Castle. Yes. And um, he, as I said, spent most of his time translating the New Testament uh, from Greek into German. And um, he, uh, this then would have been one of the most important legacies of his life putting the Bible into the language of the common people.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and we have, um, following on the heels of men like Wycliffe and Huss, uh, Luther is one of those men as well who, the only reason that we have a Bible in print today is because of men like these guys who uh, paved the way for that to happen. Right. Um, prior to that, you could
1: not just go buy a Bible or possess a Bible. It was You didn't have Bibles laying around. Right so this this translation was published in 1522 yes and uh it made the teachings of scripture obviously more accessible to the german people yes. and uh which would pose a threat to the church oh yes they would no longer have to depend upon the church that's right to tell them what the bible said so you know that that translation uh helped really um, grow the people in their Opposition even to the church. Yes. Um, And again, this is probably one of his most important legacies. One of the things that we didn't talk about that probably we should mention briefly is um, about his marriage. One of the things that he did was elevate marriage. Yes. Uh, Remember, as a monk and all the priests Mm are Mm -hmm. uh, supposed to be celibate, this is the time. Uh, in history where nuns were uh locked away in monasteries and wasn't uh, uh wasn't his wife a nun she now was, that I'm remembering now? Yeah she was a former nun former she, nun she was uh kidnapped um, uh-huh. um, out of um a monastery in which there were several nuns that yes. jumped in herring Yeah, fish barrels. barrels. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> this. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, and Martin Luther, they were
0: I, they were smuggled out of the monastery in fish barrels. Yes. that were not
1: cleaned, mind you. Right, <laughs> right. And so you can imagine what it must have been for those uh, ladies. Mm. But they were, there were several of those. And he actually found husbands for all of those nuns except for his wife, whose name was Katrina. Um, and um, he decided he wasn't interested in marriage. Yeah but she was and um they wound up getting married and really his example of marriage and what it should be in family life we don't have time to go to all the details mm-hmm. but became uh, really again part of his legacy a game changer really for the for the life of the church
0: um following right yeah another thing to kind of piggyback off of that is he he had um he formulated a Wonderful biblical doctrine of vocation. Yes. And one of the legacies that I have found helpful is that, um, uh, I don't know if it's attributed to Luther, but one of the key phrases from the Reformation was quorum Deo. Yes. Which means uh, life in the presence of God, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so all Christians, no matter if you're in vocational ministry or not, Everything that you do vocationally, whatever your role is at your job or whatever the case may be, you can and you do serve the Lord in that, whether you're a shoemaker or a pastor or a milk farmer or dairy farmer, excuse me, uh, or whatever the case it is, you are living your life uh, as a servant of Christ. Um, in your vocation, and do that to the glory of God.
1: Right. And he elevated all vocations to a calling. That's right. Whereas before, a calling, and I say that in air quotes, mm-hmm. was given to to the priest. Yep. And now, though, all vocations were referred as a calling.
0: Exactly. Yep. And that,
1: that's a huge concept. Right. Huge paradigm
0: shift for the day that he was living in, and honestly, today even. Right. I think that, that that's kind of a tendency as history kind of cycles through that we elevate some callings, air quotes there, above others. And some are better and some are lesser, you know, in those kinds. But if we think about it, all of life, God has given us his providential hand is upon each of our lives. He calls us to different things.
1: Right. I know we're pushing the clock to get done. Let's mention one other thing. Sure. That that I know that would be near and dear to your heart, but but the fact that he really um, reformed the church in terms of music. That's right. And he brought congregational singing into the church. He wrote
0: hymns. He was a prolific uh, musician. He was actually a very accomplished musician. Um, It's a very fascinating thing. He changed the music scene in the church. And although, you know, we would... There's kind of a, a there's always a double double sidedness to this. He he did a lot of wonderful things. He brought co- like as you said, brought congregational singing, brought music to the people, um, wrote hymns. Uh, but he also uh, there he didn't quite go as far as I would even prefer him to have gone. He still retained some of the some of the mass elements from the Catholic Church. He didn't do away completely with all of that. And so, although he God used him instrumentally in the in the realm of just the worship service, uh, he certainly brought forth preaching mm-hmm. as the kind of the the pinnacle
1: of the service. Right.
0: expository preaching, the preaching of the word, yes, and around that
1: the singing of the
0: people of God.
1: Right. In um, fact, um, those are some of the points that we could talk about. In wrapping up, what is his legacy? Yes. Why do you need to know about him or read about him? Why do you need to understand?
0: Uh, yeah, let's spend two two or so minutes and we'll wrap this right. up.
1: Well, I think, number one, yep. um, just not necessarily in this order, but number one, we can say um, just the way that he brought music back into the church. And probably two famous hymns that our listeners would know. Yes. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Yes. And... Away in the manger, which we'll be singing in a two, <laughs> couple of months from now. <laughs> but yeah, so if you've ever sung "A Mighty
0: Fortress Is Our God," Martin Luther wrote that, and it is a amazingly written hymn. Uh, it's it's tremendous. Uh, what a what a uh, what a powerful! You can just hear his theology come out. You can hear the man almost come out in the in the lyrics of that hymn. Right. Um, For the church to sing something like that together is just unheard of prior to this time.
1: Right. So that would be number one as far as his legacy, at least for our episode purposes right now. Sure. Number two, which we didn't talk about, you just mentioned it briefly, but it's preaching. He he brought preaching to the forefront. That's right. Um, Preaching was not uh, part of the church life before Martin Luther. The mass was the center of the church. Worship experience.
0: The Eucharist was the center of the Mass, so the, the whole uh, re-sacrificing of Christ and right, that sort of thing. Right, so, so yeah. the
1: weekly preaching of a sermon, the yep. weekly study of a man who would be uh, diligent in the Scripture and then bring that uh, text to uh, the congregation. Absolutely. A third uh, piece of his legacy that we can talk about, um, the Reformation of the Gospel. Bringing the the reality of the gospel back to life. The
0: good news of
1: the gospel. Yeah. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's right. Plus nothing. Right. Um, uh,
0: For the glory of God alone. That's right. That's right. Um, It is a gift, not something that we can merit or earn. Right. It is a gift. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Right. Because if it weren't,
1: we would all be hopeless. Right. A fourth thing that we can mention about his legacy is that idea of family and marriage. Whereas marriage before Martin Luther did not uh, was not um, deemed as very important, um, just kind of a necessity. Um, it wasn't really uh, given a lot of diligent and uh, careful thought. But he um, elevates marriage, and he talks about it in his writings and the relationship that he had with uh, his wife, Katie. Um, they had a whole uh, basket full of kids. Oh, I can't remember. I can't <laughs> remember. eight or ten of them. I think <laughs> right. Uh, but the, the just the the example that he set in the parsonage, if you yes. will, yes. Um, is a legacy.
0: Yeah, and all of his children, maybe not every single one of them, but most of his children, became, you know, very out, uh, upstanding citizens. Uh, the legacy of his fatherhood of his children
1: uh, proved itself out in that way, right. in the home. He did have some sadness because one of the daughters died. She was 12 years old. And of course, you know, in that day and time, medic, my, medical science, and those things were certainly not as available as we have it today. But another um, piece of the legacy that we want to mention is going back to the idea of vocation. Everybody has a calling, housewife, dentist, farmer, yes, pastor. And, and
0: none of them are... Um, uh, we we need to do away with the thinking of kind of this hierarchical categorization of importance right. with the vocations. Right. Um, God calls each of us to something different. And right, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And probably
1: one uh, one last thing that we can mention, Duffy, the underlying legacy, the underlying piece of all of these pieces of his life that we've mentioned, and certainly a lot that we did not mention was his. Emphasis on the Scripture. That's right. He brought the Bible
0: back to the church, emphasized the Bible for the church. Um, the Bible is God's Word for us. We need to feed upon it because it's what God has given us for our sustenance, right? Christ is the living Word made flesh, and uh, the Word of God printed in the Scriptures is His revelation to us. And so that is that would be the final thing, that Luther recovered the Bible. Right
1: for the church. Right. So this is our feeble attempt in this episode to introduce you. If you have not been familiar with Martin Luther, the reformer, we hope that you have uh, now had your interest piqued and perhaps you would pursue more study. And again, we'll put these uh, resources in the um, notes at the end of the episode and you can refer to those and uh, the Lord bless you as you uh, look at this man's life and be encouraged.
0: Yeah, and the reason we do these Old Dead Guys episodes is because church history is important. Yes, You need to be aware of of who has gone before us, who has paved the road that we now walk on. That's right. In that sense. So that's we why stand, we do these episodes. That's right. We stand on the shoulders of others. That's right. Luther is one. Yes. Well, that is it for today's episode. Listener, thank you once again for taking the time out of your day to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast, and we sure hope that it has been a blessing to you. Don't forget, you can like and share these podcasts on whatever media platform you're listening on, and uh, find someone that you could share it with, a friend or a family member, co-worker, someone that would be interested in this. Don't forget, you can uh, share with us a question at a future date for us to consider on our website, go to uh, bbcemory.org go to the media tab, scroll to the bottom and there you can uh, submit a question to us for a future podcast episode and as usual until next time, grace and peace be with you all